Schwab Advisor Services is proud to support the RIA Edge podcast and equally proud to support independent financial advisors like you. In a challenging year, how did 68% of firms surveyed in Schwab's RIA benchmarking study meet or exceed their new client goals? By following key success factors, such as leveraging new technology, adapting strategies to win new business and stay connected with their clients, while also attracting and developing the right talent. The Schwab RIA benchmarking study is just one of many ways they provide you with the insights and resources needed to succeed and grow. Get the full picture at advisorservices.schwab.com. Hello and welcome to RIA Edge. This is Mark Bruno, the Managing Director of the Wealth Management Group at Informa Connect. And I am incredibly excited about this episode of the RIA Edge podcast for a number of reasons, but two in particular. One, we get to talk about some new results from an update to the RI Edge study, which is near and dear to my heart. And two, we get to talk to one of my favorite people in the industry, Carolyn Armitage, the head of Thrivent Advisor Network, and a fantastic strategic partner to us on the development of the RIA Edge study this year. Carolyn, thank you so much for taking some time out. I appreciate it. My pleasure, Mark. Thank you for having me. Uh, we have a lot to talk about here, but it is a subject that very few people I've come across in this industry know more than you do. Uh, succession planning is something that while we've been talking about the need to understand how to really plan effectively and strategically for you know, over, well over a decade now, it still doesn't seem like at least in mass, there's been a tremendous amount of movement. That said, uh, we did a recent Q3 pulse poll to the RA edge study, and we saw some pretty encouraging information. We saw the number of RIAs in particular who were looking to execute a succession plan nearly double. Um, and that was from the first quarter to the third quarter. Um, it's a, still a small number, right? So it goes from 10% to 19% in Q3, but it's pretty significant. So Carolyn, I'd love to just start. One, what do you think is driving this? And two, what does it potentially indicate about the current state of the RIA M&A market? Yeah, thank you, Mark. I think it's, um, it's interesting that we saw a doubling of folks wanting to document and create their succession plan. Love to see it, first and foremost. I think the intention has been on many advisors' minds for a decade or so, quite frankly, right? So we need to actually have them create that formal succession plan, but at least the desire is there. And that's, that's part of the battle, getting them off um, where they are today and get them moving forward. I do think the natural trend of the demographics, so the aging of advisors, seeing their peers have their success and or failures with internal and external succession plans helps people be a little more motivated to put together their own succession sure. plan, right? So what, there's so many blind spots that advisors have for creating a succession plan, it's just really hard to get going because you're planning for your own demise. <laughs> yeah. And that's hard to do, right? It's such a personal, intimate business where you help clients and you're holding their hand throughout all of life's joys through the difficult times. And to think about giving that up to somebody else, even for real wealth and value creation, it's really tough to hand over those relationships. And so the natural delayed process, I think, makes 
a most comfortable atmosphere for advisors. Yet at the same time, they understand how much they can lose out on the value of their business, as well as the obligation that they owe to their clients and their families and their employees. Yeah. And, and that the comment about valuation, I think, is a particularly important one now. Um, I think what your business is worth you know, in September of 2022 might look you know, different, obviously, from what your business was worth in January or February of 2022. Um, and while we're only looking at a you know, six or seven month swing here, I'm wondering how much that might have influenced people or motivated people who were maybe passive, really not looking to execute a succession plan to say, hey, uh, this is a pretty limited opportunity here for me to get you know, top of the market valuations. I mean, do you think that's factoring into any of the results that we've seen in the study as well? I do think it factors in. Now, while it's just a short time period, the valuation differences are, are pretty vast. And so those that are looking at finding a successor or selling externally here in the short term really have to determine the right timing, which is difficult to do because the process can be long. Um, and if you happen to hit the bottom of the market, that can really impact your the overall value that you get in the firm, unless you have some type of shared risk on a go forward basis, mm -hmm. where when the market comes back, you participate in those rewards, if it continues to stay down, you both share in that decline of revenue and therefore profits. So it definitely impacts. I've also seen it where folks have pulled out from selling because they want to wait until the market does come back. The impact on the succession plan kind of helps folks understand that they need to get going if they haven't already. And unfortunately, when folks haven't put together a succession plan and they're nearing retirement, it will limit their options between an internal versus an external. They may only be able to do an external sale. Right, right. And, and we'll talk about the internal versus external considerations in a little bit. I did want to also introduce what might be considered breaking news in the world of succession planning. In our RA Edge study, we did see that you know, a pretty significant number of RIAs who are looking to execute a plan actually have a, a written succession plan in place. You know, more specifically, 56% have a formal written succession plan in place. It's the first time I've seen any research that indicates the majority uh, of any you know, population of advisors actually have a plan in place. Um, one, what's your take on that? And two, why is it so important for a firm to have a formal written plan in, in place? Yeah, this really warms my heart, I have to tell you. After doing succession planning with advisors for, gosh, well over two decades, this is the first time it's ever been over 50%. And so we're trending in the right direction. This is a fabulous advancement for our industry. And to have a formal, otherwise known as a written or executed succession plan is really critical because it establishes expectations and it's very clear when it's written down in black and white or you know, with the proper language, it should be. Oftentimes when succession plans aren't written, they're either a handshake deal or verbally, you know, an advisor might say, yeah, I've, I've talked to the advisors in my office and they're gonna buy the firm when I'm ready to retire. 
Well, that's open to interpretation. It opens up a lot of questions as to when are they going to retire and will they ever retire? And the next generation of advisors really want that certainty that they will be able to step up and buy equity. And so well, this is where we'll often see the next level or G2 advisor break away because they haven't seen something in writing. They don't have the ability to purchase equity and they don't feel it's ever going to come. And so they oftentimes will end up leaving for a firm that will share equity and or creating their own firm. And so having it in a written fashion clears out all of those unspoken terms, puts it down in black and white so everyone understands that, you know, there would be triggering events, formulas for how to determine value and timing expectations. It really benefits the relationship. If an advisor is serious about doing an internal succession plan, mm -hmm. they need to start this process at least five years out, if not 10, before they're ready to retire. Yeah, and I, I think that point is one of the most important. Um, it, you know, succession plan isn't necessarily just an exit plan, right? Um, it is a, if executed and thought about properly, a strategic long-term transition plan. And along those lines, we actually did ask in the RA Edge update what their preference was. If they were an owner and they were looking to execute a succession plan, who were they selling it to and how? Um, and about 53% of the firms that have a plan in place, their preference is to sell internally to current employees. Um, so maybe if you could, Caroline, I know you've worked directly on a number of those types of transactions or transitions, I should say. I should say. What are some best practices for a successful internal deal or transition? And you know, just to build on your last point, at what point do you really have to start you know, not only planning, but determining who the right people are? Yeah, there's a lot of factors there where we could uh, have a whole session just on this. So really the minimum time frame that I've seen this be successful is like a three to five year minimum window. And I say that because many times the founder, the owner will find a potential successor and bring them on and they'll spend a couple of years with them to ensure they're the right individual. And many times they're not, not necessarily because of that individual. Sometimes it's a friction between the relationship. And so you really need to have the founder have full intention of transitioning to this person and that they have an open heart and open mind for new ideas, right? If you've been running a business, you're the sole founder, you've been running that business for 20, 30, sometimes 40 years, mm -hmm. and you get to call all the shots to have someone come in that is oftentimes 15, maybe 20 years younger than you, that has different ideas, different ways of doing things, it can be hard for that founder to open up their mind and their experience to try new and different things. It can be a, a personality mismatch. And that's where having a, a real specific criteria and measuring against that both objectively as well as subjectively on certain elements so that you have the right relationship and set the expectations from the get-go. 
I find that oftentimes founders will have unexpressed expectations that then go unmet over the couple of year time frame. And once that couple of year window passes and maybe it's the third year they end up finally severing that relationship, they're forced to start over again. And when you start over again, you have the same approach. It may take you another couple of years. And that's where a minimum of a five-year window is usually necessary. So I think having that real intentionality is important. Um, having a specific criteria to, for the talent assessment and to have a couple of options so that if you get the idea that uh, one of your internal successors may not be working out, that successor may not end up wanting to step up and purchase the business, or you may have a great succession plan in place for internal purposes, but all of a sudden the big business becomes worth more than that advisor's willing to borrow or take a loan out for that amount of money. Um, so there's a lot of things that can change your intention of the succession plan as time goes on. So it really does need to be a, a living document that you refresh every so often to make sure you're still on the right path. And I appreciate that you touched on so many different elements there, right? There's the, the fit, obviously, um, which could be in most cases the most important. Um, the market obviously evolves too, right? It, it's becoming harder and harder, or at least more and more expensive for employees to put together a better offer than some of the external buyers are after, of course. Right. Uh, but one thing that I did want to ask you for your opinion on, I think one of the most thoughtful comments I've ever heard on succession came from you know, someone we know well, Cheryl Rowling. A couple of years ago, we were doing a, a podcast and I was asking her about her succession planning. And I said to her, you know, how do you know when you're ready to move on? And she was running at the time a very successful firm, but had been thoughtful about her transition for a while. And she said, it's not about when I'm ready. It's about when the team I'm transitioning to is ready. And I thought that that was you know, one of the smarter, more profound ways of thinking about it. I think it's also probably pretty rare. Yeah, to find other people who are thinking about it in the same way. You know, th thinking about that comment from Cheryl, how do you know if or when your team or the individuals you would like to transition to are actually ready to take over and run the business in a way that you're satisfied and content with? Yeah, it's a great comment by Cheryl. I would say that you need to work with the advisor at the level that they're at. And so there's usually kind of three different phases of uh, work that you do together. So one of them is some of the client interface. Another one is the management that the advisor participates in. And the third element is the equity sharing, right? So you can start through an equity sharing program where the advisor can step up and purchase some of the equity. And then at the same time, you can give them some of the management responsibilities of the firm, whether that's managing employees, a certain department, and seeing how they do and help mentor them along the way. And this is where having a close relationship and an open one where you can share feedback to help with their improvement. And you start small and see that they have successes and continue to add to that while offering up the client relationships kind of as that third pillar that once you see they are going to be successful, 
and they've showed continual progress, then you'll feel more comfortable opening up the relationship to have them meet with your clients, especially your most favored clients. And that's a nice way to keep in touch to make sure they're ready. Additionally, there's the financial ability that they need to be prepared to sign a personal guarantee or take out a note and that their partner is also prepared to take on this new endeavor, right? That's a big component of it. And then the emotional aspect. So it's not just the mechanics of how it plays out in the office, but how are they emotionally prepared to change from being a contributor to a firm to actually running the firm and owning the firm and having open dialogue on that so that they're emotionally ready to step up as well as competent to do. Yeah, I think uh, great advice. And even just to sort of draw on just embracing that philosophy is it's not always just about when you're ready, right? Um, it's right. when the group, right, is ready. Um, was It was something that will always stick with me. Uh, I do want to ask you, provided some you know, excellent best practices around succession planning. But we also know that there are some you know, worst practices, right? Just to be very harsh, we'll, we'll, we'll actually just pull back and say there are some common mistakes that are often made um, when people are trying to either put a plan in place or execute one. Um, as just a final question for you here, what are some of the most common mistakes you've seen and how could our listeners here on the RI Edge podcast avoid them? Hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. That could be a whole seminar in itself it as be. well. People right? like worst practices, right? Oh, man. Uh, so some of the, the big horror stories are when the owner has a successor in mind and the plan's not documented and it comes time for them to retire and that G2 advisor says, my partner's not on board not comfortable signing a personal guarantee and, you know, signing my house to that. And this is too risky for me. I love being a financial advisor. I don't want to own the business. I don't want to do all of that other work. I just want to meet with clients and keep them happy. Mm. Um, really heartbreaking. Uh, I have seen where owners are just really distraught over that because that wasn't their desire, their heart's desire. Definitely seen those who don't really have a clear vision for why the advisor should buy into the business. Uh, they don't necessarily have a growth strategy for how the business can grow, right? Because just buying the business on itself in order for that purchaser to find value in that, they need to grow the business beyond what they paid for it. Um, so having a growth plan in place is super important. Um, also, having the financial wherewithal to pay back the note that the purchaser um, takes out. I have seen where someone has had to throw the keys back uh, because they just didn't anticipate all the trials and tribulations of owning a business and the ups and downs. You had mentioned the market earlier, right? As the market goes up and down, your revenue goes up and down and thus your profits go up and down the cost of hiring new employees. And that comes right out of the owner's pocket until they're actually providing value. So having a strong financial forecast put together so that you know you can afford to pay the note back while still maintaining your cost of living is super important. I definitely see a lot of disagreements on the price 
that the purchaser should pay, right? So as an owner of a firm, you have the sentimental value, the emotional attachment, oftentimes your name on the door. And so you may also associate your firm that you're trying to sell internally with some of the external valuations that you've heard of where folks sell out to private equity firms and trying to attach that to an internal sale, which doesn't always translate. At the same time, the purchaser who perhaps has helped to build the firm over the last several years is looking for a special good guy deal, if you will, because they help build up the firm. And so oftentimes you'll see a mismatch as to the expectations of what the value of the firm is worth. And that can cause a lot of ill will in the office that gets felt throughout all the team members. It can become a really uncomfortable environment for folks to work in. Um, sadly, that usually doesn't end well unless they can pull back on the emotional side and have a um, uninterested party step in to help mediate and negotiate what a fair and appropriate deal is. And really, I, I would say most importantly is that when the relationship works, some of these details won't matter as much. When the relationship just doesn't work and there isn't a high level of trust there, all the details become so much more important and they will cloud the overarching issue of we want to make sure that the clients are well cared for for the coming decades, right, in, in a terrific fashion. And I have seen advisors be so amazingly generous with some G2 advisors because they keep that end state in mind. And I've also seen it the opposite where deals fall apart because of wanting to make sure they get as much value as possible up front. And so there's, there's really that continuum of deal structures that can be done and focusing on making sure the clients are well taken care of is often center stage for most advisors transitions. I think yeah, one point in there that I would just hammer home is you know, if you do get a sense that it's not working, right? personally, the fit's not right there, or there just isn't the right alignment. Um, it's probably, you probably have a gut feeling pretty quickly. And it's probably better to get, you start moving in a different direction quickly, as opposed to just sitting on it and hoping that it gets better over time. Hope is not a succession plan. Um, and one other sort of final note that I would add that I learned from you, Carolyn, is when we were doing some work together, um, I remember having a discussion with a firm that was early in its planning, um, but they were looking at you know their vision. What does a successful transition look like? Um, and you talk through some optionality. It doesn't have to be an all or nothing, right? It doesn't have to be Friday's your last day, Monday is their first day right, as the owner. Um, you can scale, you can transition. You can say, if I, as the founder, what do I want to do? What makes me happiest? Do I just want to manage money? Do I want to manage my top 10 relationships? Do I just want to do business development, right? And scale back some of the day-to-day -day responsibilities. So that's just sort of a final note that I would leave with our audience that I learned from you. So I wanted to give you the proper credit <laughs> for that one as well. There are, there's no one way to do it. Um, and you have a number of different options to explore to make sure that it's a great fit and ultimately a successful transition for you, your employees and your clients. So Carol, before we wrap here, anything that you'd want to add on this subject? Yeah, I, I would say that um, on your point, you just made that 
increasingly I've been seeing advisors wanting to do succession planning a little bit earlier and not because they completely want to step away from the business, but that they do want to take advantage of this very robust market that we've had here for the last 10, 12 years. Um, there's so many options. There's never been such a depth of quality buyers out there in the marketplace. And a lot of sellers want some optionality to be able to sell and stay and try on retirement right? So they can kind of have one foot in each camp and see what works for them. Um, the most challenging aspect I find for advisors is, is really to get ready for their 2.0 and have a vision for what that's going to look like. It's very different experience when advisors step away from something that they have been pouring mm -hmm. 12 to 16 hours a day of their time on for the last 30, 40 years to all of a sudden step away and, and play golf every day and have lunch with their partner every day and dinner and breakfast. And, uh, you know, <laughs> some of that gets to be a, a little um, not as fulfilling as the client goals they were helping sure. to achieve. And, and so I, I have been finding sellers really wanting to continue to participate. And that makes it a lovely environment for all involved. So to your point of there's a succession plan for everybody out there. Um, the challenge is in finding the right match and who has the right alignment of your values. And that's where uh, I definitely wish everyone a terrific journey and, and you'll be able to find the right partner out there for you. Yeah, and I think the optionality piece is huge. There are you know, obviously a number of professional buyers, all sorts of great options from like Thrive Advisor Network that have, you know, you know, values, culture, and you know, as a very specific type of advisor that you want to work with and help, it's great to have in the marketplace. And I think if you're a seller right now, it's probably never been a better time, even if mm -hmm. maybe January technically would have been a better time. Um, I think more broadly speaking, you've never had more options before. It's probably never been a better time to be a seller. So Carolyn, thank you so much for stopping by the RA Edge podcast. Once again, we really appreciate having you on. My pleasure. Thank you, Mark. And thank you, everybody, for joining and listening to this episode of the RA Edge podcast. We appreciate all of you stopping by once again, and we feel that this is not only one of the most important subjects that we can talk about on the RA Edge podcast, but we, as I mentioned at the outset here, have also developed an entire refresh of the RA Edge study that focuses on M&A succession planning and everything related to making a successful deal and transaction in the current environment. So I encourage all of our li listeners to download the update to the RA Edge study. On behalf of the Wealth Management Group here at Informa Connect, again, I'm Mark Bruno. Thank you, everybody, for stopping by. Schwab Advisor Services is proud to support the RIA Edge podcast and equally proud to support independent financial advisors like you. In a challenging year, how did 68% of firms surveyed in Schwab's RIA benchmarking study meet or exceed their new client goals? by following key success factors such as leveraging new technology, adapting strategies to win new business and stay connected with their clients, while also attracting and developing the right talent. The Schwab RIA benchmarking study is just one of many ways they provide you with the insights and resources needed to succeed and grow. Get the full picture at advisorservices.schwab.com.